0: Father we bless you tonight we thank you for the sake of love you gave your son for each and every one of us that whosoever would believe Lord God would not suffer the punishment because of our sins against the Holy God but God we would be saved thank you for that love such undeserving love but father we stand here tonight because of that wonderful love we praise you Lord Father, we just ask your Holy Spirit to have his way tonight in our midst. Let let him speak to our hearts. Let him move as he desires to move, using the body of Christ, Lord, Father, to give glory and honor to your name. We pray for the children from the nursery, the pre-K, children's ministry, the pre-teens and the teens tonight. God, that you would meet them in a mighty and powerful way. And that you would change and touch their lives for the glory of your name and your kingdom, we pray. Amen. And amen. And amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Won't you just turn and wave to somebody or whatever. <laughs> amen. Well, it's good to see you tonight. Praise the Lord. Who has a testimony of something you want to just give God real quick praise for? Anybody? All right. awesome. When God gives a promise and you see it come to pass. Isn't that awesome? Anybody else? Haven't done this in a while, so. Uh, really promised- Speak loud so they can hear you or turn around. <laughs> he's gone. Amen. Anybody else? Give you an opportunity. No? Stella? Awesome. Oh, man, that is incredible. Glory to God. Talk about favor. Whoa. Can you say, wow? That is awesome. I thought you were going to say, like, with part of it or something. Oh, Awesome. God is good, isn't he? Man, there ain't nothing God can't do. Whew. Wow. That, that is incredible. Well, uh, you know, kind of along the same, not in the same line, but I mean, I, I haven't had a chance to tell you, tell you I don't believe I have, and, um, but a few weeks ago, I was gone uh, to North Louisiana and I was uh, doing a Bible prophecy conference at a church up there, and uh, my front end was out of alignment, and I needed some tires, and so I told the pastor, I said, I'm sure you know a tire guy in this town, and I'm going to give you the real short version of this because it's a long, long story. He said, meet me Monday morning at such and such place, and I said, okay, so I drove there, and, met, and before I got there, the, the owner that was there, or they were there, and... He said, come here, I want you to meet the owner. He's a big country guy, you know. I mean, his hand's twice the size of my hands, you know. And and um, he said, tell him what... He, this man was had, had been in church, got hurt in church, left church, and but it was a very successful businessman in, in in what he was doing. But God had just given him a dream, and he knew it was from God. And he... he the was saying what God had showed him was coming to America. It shook him to the core. So he started talking to me about it. I let him talk. 45 minutes, I just let him talk. And when he got done, he said, you probably think I'm crazy. I said, no. So I started talking to him. And you could see tears welling up in his eyes. And he was trying to hold them back. And uh, I, said, I said, well, I said, let me pray for you. So we, we prayed for him. So I gave him my car, and I told him I, I need some tires, I need the front end of line. And so he said, okay. And so that was on Monday morning. Tuesday afternoon, he said, it's not going to be ready yet. Um, you'll have to come back tomorrow. And so, uh, but, but that night, the, night I, the day I talked to him that Monday, that Monday night, he was in church with his Bible. And I was teaching on the judgment seat of Christ. And man, he was sitting on the edge with tears in his eyes, you know, and and because uh, I'm talking about how even as a Christian, you're gonna stand before God and give an account of your life or everything that you've done since Christ come into your life, and um, God really touched him. And so, anyway, Tuesday rolled around, I wasn't ready yet. And I'm like, oh man, you know, so I'm having to be shuff- shuttled back and forth. And anyway, Wednesday afternoon, I'm at the pastor's house putting a new computer in for him and everything. And I'm like, church is at 6:30. It's now 4:15. I still don't have a car. They close at five, you know. i was like, and so the guy calls the pastor and says his car's ready. He said, what time you close? He said five. We'll be there a few minutes before five. And I'm like, I need to go back and get ready for tonight, you know. But anyway, he says uh, the the wife says, how do you want to pay for this? Cash, debit, or credit? And I said, I don't know. How much is it? <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know, you know. And he walks in, and goes, she goes, what are we doing about this? And he said, give it to me. And he said, he said come outside. I need to talk to you about your vehicle. That is, that's never a good thing. When a mechanic tells you, I need to talk to you about your vehicle, you're like, oh, no, Jesus, what did he find, you know? Anyway, long and short of it was, he starts talking to me. He says, I put 70,000-mile like tires on it. We fixed the front end on your car. He said, we, we found an oil sensor leak. We replaced it, so we flushed the oil, put a new filter on. He said, we changed the transmission fluid, put new filters and gaskets and everything on. He said... Um, I'm trying to remember everything else. He said, "Oh, we did a carbon flush of your whole fuel system, everything." He said, "We buffed out your headlights on the front, and there was something else he did. I can't remember." He said, "We well, warranty everything for two years nationwide. We gave you two years road service warranty, the whole nine yards." And I'm going, my, "In my mind, it's like an adding machine, just <laughs> and I'm thinking, Pastor, you better have some money because I don't have that much money on me." And then he looks at me, he goes, now. And he hands me the invoice, and it's, it's almost $1,400. And I'm like, and he did all this without even asking, you know. And he said, now, I need to tell you something. Tears well up in his eyes. He said, God's made me successful because he told me, he said, I will bless you, but there'll be times that I will tell you that you're to bless somebody else. And he said, I know what God has shown me is coming. And I heard you the other night warning the people to get ready for what's coming. He said, and God told me not to charge you a dime. It's yours. He said, but don't you dare stop telling people to get ready because Jesus is coming. And, and, and the people in this world are not ready for what's coming to America. And he had tears flowing down his face. I had tears flowing down my face for a different reason, you know. But, uh, I mean, I was like, I I just, I'm like, I I don't know what to say. He said, you don't say nothing. He told me to do it. I said, thank you, Jesus, and thank you. And I called him by name. And so, man, you you know, that's just, I had to tell somebody, man. It It was just so awesome, man. And um, and so I got in my little trailblazer and cruised on home. And, boy, I'll tell you what, it, it rides like a dream now. <laughs> it's amazing. And, uh, but, you know, God had the right time. I, and I was getting ready to do all that before I left the tires. I said, no, nah, I'll get up there. I'll have time to do it, and he'll know somebody. God already had it prepared, you know. Isn't that awesome? At least to me it's awesome. I don't know about you. Praise God. <laughs> Anyway, well, it's been two weeks since I've had a chance to preach here. Uh, It was two weeks ago on a Wednesday I ministered and then uh, woke up sick as a dog uh, that next weekend and all the way through the next Wednesday, and then uh, we left Thursday afternoon and went to Foley, Alabama. We usually leave for a week and go away on Thanksgiving over there. There's a church that has a couple homes, and they make available free to pastors To stay, and they, of course, they experienced a huge amount of damage over there. And uh, but the first thing they did was fix the little house that we always stay in. And he said, Because Bob and Amanda are coming for Thanksgiving, and so when I told him I was sick and I don't think we're gonna make it, but Thursday morning I woke up, my mind was off to the races, and that's me, that's the way my normal is. I said, I'm feeling better. Let's just go. And we hadn't prepared to go, so you know how that is. You know, the last minute you're throwing stuff together, and I told my wife, I said, you don't need two suitcases. Boy, I ain't going to be there. gone three and a half days, you know. and um, But anyway, I'm saying that because on the way there, the Holy Spirit spoke to me crossing the Chafalaya Basin Bridge, and I can tell you there's been at least five times just driving all of a sudden he dropped something in me. And it was a prophetic message. And so I worked all day Friday while my wife was shopping. I worked all day Friday studying. And half of the day Saturday uh, preparing. And I preached that message over in Foley, Alabama. And I'm going to be preaching it this this uh, Sunday. But it, it is tied to Bible prophecy that is actually taking place right now. And, and um, I'm telling you, it's... I never saw it before. I never see. It's it just, it, it was just mind-boggling. It's tied to Daniel 2 and Revelation 17. So I invite you to come Sunday. I hope you'll bring somebody. I preached it in Foley, and we had 12 people saved. 12 people came to Christ that morning. And, um, and I told them, I said, this ain't no little pray, pray a little prayer, get out of jail free card. I'm talking about you're going to surrender everything to Jesus. And they, they came. And, and uh, so I hope that you'll come. I hope that you'll be here. And if not, it'll be online for sure. But tonight, I want to uh, read from Luke chapter 8, verse 26 through 37. Most of you already know the story, so I'll kind of read it fast. You just listen fast. <laughs> and it says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man, from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he leave in the house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, and he fell down before him, and with a loud voice he said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds, and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons entered him, and they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. And now a herd of swine were feeding on the mountain. And so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. And then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. And when those who fed them saw what happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had who had had the demons, they had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And it says they also had, who had seen it, told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. And then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him, speaking of Jesus, asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, and he got in the boat and returned." And the title is simply a, a, something that I have said for years about people, and it's just solve our problems but save our pigs. And um, uh, Jesus and the disciples had just sailed from the west side to the, uh, the Sea of Galilee to the, to the east side, and he had just calmed the storm on the sea. And the disciples were in awe, and they were fearful about everything that he was doing. It, it was incredible. But now they get out of the boat and here comes a demon-possessed man who is controlled by a legion of demons and a legion by, um, uh, by Roman history, they say, could be anywhere from 3,000 to 7,000 soldiers, would be a legion of soldiers. So this is, a de- this is a man who's possessed by thousands of different demons, okay? Uh, this wasn't just like somebody who just was you know paranoid I mean this this guy is demon possessed he, he would they would bind him with chains, he would break the chains off, he would cut himself, <clears throat> one of the gospels says he would run naked through the tombs, and so you can imagine if, if you're passing through the countryside, there would probably were warning signs don't go through here, you know demon possessed man, crazy you know. A terrorist lives in the tombs, in you know, area. You imagine everybody having to go around because of them. And so Jesus cast the demons out, and they went into the swine, and the herd ran down the, into the lake. And, well, you know, somebody said that was, they committed suicide. I know, but, you know, you probably didn't want to hear that anyway. <laughs> See, I made Stella laugh. That was worth it. See, I could, have, I could have said it was the first biblical record of deviled ham, you know, in, in the Bible. <laughs> but I didn't say that. I <laughs> said, But those who tended the herd ran into town and told everybody what had happened. And the whole town comes out to see this for themselves. And, and sure enough, there's this demon-possessed man. He's now got clothes on. He's in his right mind, and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And they did something that defies logic. It's almost unexplainable. They asked Jesus to leave. And Jesus, the Bible says, got it back in the boat, and he left. Um, now, I, I want us to go back and review this a little bit, because there was a problem. And it's a demon-possessed guy who has terrorized the countryside and everybody there knew about this man he was he had superhuman strength um he terrorized everybody that he came in contact with okay so there's the problem i mean that's a problem if if your neighborhood had somebody like that they'd be calling the people with the you know funny jackets you know what i'm saying you know they would i mean but this man 's running loose nobody can, nobody can do anything to him so there 's the problem. The second thing there is a proposition: The demons prop- made a proposal to Jesus that they not cast them into the abyss or out into oblivion. They wanted they asked if they would be permitted. Notice this that they didn 't just have a choice he, they, they asked Jesus, would you permit us?" If you're going to cast us out, would you allow us to go into the swine over there? And, and so Jesus permitted them to do it. In other words, he, they were under his authority, and they did what he allowed them to do. The third thing is there was a provocation, and, and the, the pigs didn't like the, the demons, obviously, because the demons ran into the pigs, and they, they went crazy. And... and um, Everybody in town hears about it and they go running and around, the word starts spreading, and they come out to sea, and, and and they're they're provoked. That's what the provocation is. They're provoked because the man who has been a terror for years and years and years is now healed, and they're sitting, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, but they're provoked. And what are they provoked about? They lost their pigs. In other words, there was a cost factor in solving the problem. And they're upset because they had to pay. it cost them something to get rid of the bigger problem or the bigger issue. Okay? And so there was a plea and that was the fact that Jesus took care of a long-term problem but they asked him to leave. So it's, 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 it's a conundrum of, of, of a situation. Here's a terrorist, I mean, not a terrorist like we think, I mean, a demon-possessed man who is terrorizing the countryside, and everybody knows that you can't even go near this area or whatever because of him. Somebody comes along and, and puts the man in his right mind, puts clothes on him, he's normal again, and they get upset, not because he's been healed, but that they lost their pigs because of it. And, and so they asked Jesus to leave. The guy who solved their long-term problem, they asked him to leave. And, and then there was a proclamation, and that simply was that it was unspoken, but it was very clear what the people were saying. Look, we, we would have been glad if you had taken care of this guy, but if you had done it without us, it costing us anything. In other words, solve our problems, but save our pigs in the meantime. And my point tonight is simply this, that I think the church a lot of times resembles the people of Gadara. Have you ever stopped... (laughs) I, I always thought about, when I used to read this as a, when I was younger, I couldn't figure out why there were pigs in the countryside anyway, because pigs are unclean with Jews. But Jesus wasn't on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. He was on the side of the Gentiles. And so it was nothing for them to have pigs over there. And so it was really against the status quo for Jesus to even go over there But Jesus, in doing that, pushed over there because he clearly said in the beginning, he said, I am come to the lost sheep of Israel. But what Jesus was doing here was opening the eyes of the disciples that one day it's going to be bigger than this. It's going to be bigger than just Israel. There's going to be Gentiles that are are going to be brought in. So it was customary not to, to... to associate not with non-Jews—that was customary. You just don't do that. Remember uh, when Jesus went through Samaria, the woman at the well, and 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 uh, they hated Jews and Samaritans hated each other because th- that was not just Gentiles or Samaritans were those were, were were the people who had been. There were Jews who married non-Jews, and so it was almost like even worse than just being a Gentile, they hated them. And so the Jews, if you could see on a map, if I had put it up there, you'd see Samaria. The Jews would actually, instead of walking through Samaria, would take the journey all the way around. Just imagine. imagine that you need to go the other side of Baton Rouge but you can't go to Baton Rouge because of the people who live there and so you go all the way down to New Orleans and go all the way back up to the other side and come back to the other side walking that's what the people would do and so um, but Jesus wasn't afraid to challenge the status quo and this is something I want to get across tonight because What happened on this day, the clean came in contact with the unclean. And that's what happens when Jesus comes into our lives. It's what happens when Jesus comes into, confronts any person's life. He's... People have issues. People have problems. People have their own terrorists, the things that are terrorizing their minds, terrorizing their lives, whatever. Jesus is going to come, and when he does, he's not going to do it in the way that we would want. We're going to say, I'll come to you, Jesus, and I want you to solve all my problems, but I want you to save all my pigs. And it doesn't work that way. And we need to understand that. And this is the simple application I want to let you know is that Jesus will go wherever he needs to go and do whatever he needs to do to bring change. You're not going to put limits on him. You cannot say, yes, Lord, and put limits on him. He's going to be in charge. He's going to be in control. He has to be. We just sang the song a little while ago. I have decided to follow you wherever you go. It makes great singing. It's another thing to put into practice. When God begins to put his finger on things in our lives and we look at them and go, but not that, not that. <laughs> oh yeah, that. And, 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 and it's, a, you know, I, I remember as a young person, I remember somebody went to the altar and It was at a missions convention and he They went up to the altar and said, Lord, I'll go anywhere in the world, but... And I I remember hearing, but? What do you mean, but? (laughs) What do you mean? You'll go anywhere, but... Can I tell you? The places that you tell God you won't go, that's where he'll send you. (laughs) You know, Lord, I'll do anything, but... Don't ask me to do this. Guess what? You You just nailed it, Jack. I mean, I mean... I, I, I mean, I can tell you. Yeah, I, we were telling somebody a few, a few weeks ago. I can't even remember now. But uh, when my wife and I, when my wife and I were traveling in full-time ministry on the road, and we were preaching revival meetings in churches and stuff, and, and I'm not talking about the little Sunday through Tuesday kind of thing. We just go. We'd actually go to a church for maybe three or four days, and we'd end up being staying there for weeks or months. Uh, preaching and God just began to move and we had been traveling for a while but my wife, if you know my wife, she's in back right now with the pre-K kids. She's a behind the scenes person. She's not an out front, up front, don't make me have to speak kind of thing, you know. So when we were traveling, she was kind of lost. Now she was very supportive. She knew that was my heart and that was my passion and I loved it and God was doing great things but I could see that she was, lost because she felt like she had no purpose and god began dealing with me about that and he said you made a vow to her first and and so i said yes but lord i made a vow to you and so i was conflicted i don't know if you've ever been conflicted about something god's telling you and something else you you're where you're at okay but guess what god has a plan so I told her, I said, we were living, we had a house that we were renting in Opelousas at the time. We weren't there very often, but we'd come, if we didn't have a meeting one weekend, we'd come home. And so I asked her, I said, what do you want to do? She said, I think I'd like to go back and, and I get a teaching degree. And I said, okay, because she had started back earlier and taken some courses at LSU when we lived in Gonzales. And I said, all right. And um, I said, well, I heard there's an extension in Eunice this is Opelousas, it's not far to Eunice, let's go check it out, so I, we, we were home one weekend, so one, I think it was Monday, we took off, drove, drove over to Eunice down Highway 90, we go, we don't know where the school's at, And we're driving all over town, and, 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 and it was like the minute we drove into town, my spirit became depressed, and I don't know how to explain that, except it, it just did, and, um, it reminded, I told my wife, I said, this reminds me of when we lived in Selma, Alabama. There's just something oppressive. I feel it. She goes, I know, I feel it too. And so we finally, we drove all over the place. We finally found the school. So we park, we go into the school, and we go in there to tell, to try and get some information. We find, you can't find anybody. We're banging the bell, you know, finally they come up and they go, what do you need? You know, and I'm like, uh, well, my wife wants to, was thinking about enrolling. We'd like some information. We'll, well, we'll like what kind of information? And I'm like, Are you the person that helps new people who want to maybe go to school here? You know, I mean, her, the attitude was horrible. You know, and they were like, Well, here's some brochures and stuff. If you've got any questions, call back and we'll try and answer them. And I said, Thank you very much. I picked him up and I told my wife, right, Let's go. And we got back in the vehicle and we drove past the church, uh, New Hope Fellowship there, and I said, oh, well, there's the AG church over here. I said, I didn't know where it was, and so we're driving around, and finally, I said, we got to get back to Highway 90, and I finally see a sign, and anyway, we're headed back out, and and right as we're leaving Eunice, the sign was, we're leaving the city limits. My wife and I looked at each other in stereo and said, we wouldn't we are never going to live in that town. And I said, well, baby, I'm traveling, and we're living in Opelousas. There's no chance we're going to live in that town. Guess who ended up pastoring in Eunice for four and a half years? Yeah. So don't tell God, uh, you know, what you're not going to do or what you will. I'm I'm just telling you because he has a way of going, oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and so he and and when he does i'm telling you he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna ask are you willing to pull it all on the line for me and are, are you willing to pay the price see a lot of people they want to sing the song and a lot of people want to follow jesus but they want to do it from a distance where it doesn't cost them anything and uh, I made a statement to the church in Foley the other day. I said, it, it, God is calling the church to get off the back, the back rows. And I said, from being spectators to become participators. That's what the church is supposed to be. And so God isn't afraid to invade your area. He's not afraid to invade your space. And you can put up all the off limit signs you want. In fact, putting up off limit signs... Like to children, tell a child, don't go in that room. They're getting in that room. Somehow they're going in that room. I'm just telling you. And, and you tell God, I, everything's on the table. God will do anything you want but this. And he's going to go. Then we're going to start with that issue right there. That's what we're going to do. And, and when God invades your space, he may not do things in the way that is quite acceptable to us. He cast out the demons out of the man that terrorized the the county, so to speak. But they asked him to leave because they lost their pigs. We want to see good things happen, but not at the expense of our livestock, if you understand what I'm saying, because the price is too high. Oh, it's easy for us to tell somebody else. You just need to surrender everything to Jesus. And then all of a sudden you hear him in the back of your head saying, going, that's right, you need to surrender everything to me. And then we get real loud to the other person. You need to surrender everything to Jesus. Like somehow we're going to block out the Holy Spirit speaking to us in the back. You know, Um, We say we want change, but we want it as long as it doesn't impact us, change us, affect us in any way. But it's okay to change somebody else or another church. You know, Lord, that church needs you down there. <laughs> you know, I, I've done this when I was a younger Christian, and, and, and I know Christians who do this all the time. They'll hear somebody ministering or preaching or saying something, and they're going, I wish so-and-so was here right now. They need to hear this. And, 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 and all you're doing is deflecting it back to somebody else who's not there. And, no, you need to hear it first, I'm telling you. And, and I've just caught myself, when I, when I start thinking that way, I start thinking, okay, Holy Spirit, are you speaking to me first? Or are, are you really, you know, yeah. We don't want Jesus to upset our routines, or we don't want to witness radical change. Um, and, and, and this thought hit me today, and i just put it up here. And that is that we fear situations that are out of control, but we fear more the one who takes complete control. We'd rather live in a semi-quasi state of chaos than have to surrender everything and put it all on the altar. You know, we, we, we don't talk much about altars and things like that, except in the Old Testament, you know, but, you know, The Apostle Paul talks about us that we're to submit our lives as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. And the problem with living sacrifices is they tend to crawl off the altar all the time when they see the knife coming towards them. And so we'd rather live in a semi-state of fear of -of out-of-control things and we're more fearful of the one who can take complete control and solve all the instances because there may be something in there we don't understand or we're not sure about. And our cry is, Lord, send revival, but would you save our pigs in the process? And God says, no, it's all on the table. It's, it's all or nothing. You're not going to call me Lord. I mean, just think that the, the young rich guy that came to Jesus and he said, I've done all those things. What do I need? What else do I need? He, he sensed there was something missing, and Jesus hit him right between the eyes. He said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And the <clears throat> rich young ruler left because he was a rich man, and he couldn't let that go. I have news for you. Jesus doesn't care about saving our pigs when we ask him to solve our problems. He's going to do it, and he's going to do it in the way that he knows is best for us. We may not think it is, but I can tell you this, that when he destroys our pigs, guess what? He destroys the demons too. When he gets rid of the pigs in our lives, the things that we're holding on to, he gets rid of the things that are wrecking our lives too the things that are making us miserable, the things that are holding us back, the things that are hindering us. I mean, it's it's just the way he is. So I'm going to make several quick observations, and then we're going to pray. The first thing is this. God is there. Amazingly, the demons recognized Jesus, and the people didn't. I want you to think about that. Demons recognized Jesus, and the people had no clue who he was. Luke 8, 28 says, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? (laughs) I think there's people in churches who don't even recognize Jesus, but that's another story. Second thing is Jesus knows our condition better than we do. We think we know our problem. We think we do. But then he's like a surgeon. He knows exactly, exactly where the issue is, exactly how to get to it, exactly how to extract it out of our lives. Luke eight twenty-seven 27 says, And when he stepped out on land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time, and he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house but in the tombs. The tombs depicted the condition of the man. He was dead inside. I mean, he was demon-possessed, but he was dead, spiritually dead inside. He was depraved. He was driven into madness by the demons. And we have to understand that God's not looking at the outside. He's looking at the inside. First Samuel 16 and 7 says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So every time you, you say, well, God, I'm doing better than they are, God just says, I don't really care if you're comparing yourself to them, I'm not comparing you to them. I'm comparing you to my word and what I'm trying to do in your life. And so the third thing is that Jesus comes to us not to torment, but to, to deliver us. When he, when he comes in our lives and when he's trying to do something, he wants to deliver us. He wants to set us free. He wants to make us better than where we are right now. Luke eight twenty eight again says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you. Do not torment me. That's what the demon cried out. The, the legion that was, or the one in charge that was speaking through the man, he, he was crying out, Do not torment me. It, the demon said this because they already know their future holds eternal torment for, for in the end time, at the end of all things, the lake of fire. And it's funny how people today, if you talk to them about Jesus, you talk to them about God, you talk to them about what God is, you know, what God can do for them. Immediately they they throw up things that in your face like, you know, I can't do I can't do the God thing, man. He make me so miserable, you know. I can't trust a God that would send people to hell, man. I'm so sick of hearing that, you know. I mean, Jesus. I mean, Jesus clearly stated, he said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I think a lot of times that Christians have have taken the first part and said, I have life and that's good enough. But Jesus said, no, I've come to give you life and, and a life that's even more abundant than just life. And, and, and it's almost like the people of the Gadarenes who were willing to live with this man who was terrorizing them, they could have their life and they could raise their pigs and they could do all their stuff. They wish this, that this guy wasn't there, but they're willing to live with that. And I think a lot of Christians are like that sometimes. They're like, okay, I'm saved. Jesus come into my life. I know I'll go to heaven if I die or if Jesus, whatever. But Jesus says, I want you to have an abundance in your life. I want much more than you can even imagine. But we're like, no, 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 I've, I got my pigs and I got my, my place of life and I got my routine and everything else. And, and Jesus wants us to have more. We need to understand that, that God wants us to have more. The fourth thing is that Jesus sets you free and, and when he sets you free, people may not understand let me just read 35 verse 35 to you. It says, Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus, found the man whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. People are always fearful of what they don't understand. And 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 I, I mentioned it a week, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was on a Sunday, and I said, the, if He's not, gonna, he's not gonna lay out everything for us ahead of time because that's not faith. If, if, if we know every step that's gonna happen between here and there, then where does faith come in? Where does trust come in? Where, where, where does believing and, and trusting and depending on him, where does that happen? People are fearful of what they don't understand. These people knew of the demon-possessed man. They knew about all the problems related to him and his condition. They come out, they find that the problem is no longer a problem, it's been fixed, but they're more fearful of the one who provided the problem than the guy who was the problem. Now who's crazy? Really. The fifth thing is Jesus will make you, make things right in your life if you will let him. Verse 35 says, And they found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. When someone comes into the light, it's always God at work. I'm just telling you, when you, when you see change, good change happening in someone's life, God's at work, God's working there, he is, he's working. And the Bible says that after Jesus leaves the area, I want you to notice something, the people were fearful, the people were afraid, They asked Jesus to leave, but the guy who gets set free, whose life is changed, what does the scripture say? And it says, and he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. That's the way it should be. And a lot of times what happens is we we forget the good things that God has done for us. That's a lot of times why I like to ask, is there anybody who wants to share something great that God has done for you? Because we need to be reminded of the good things that he's done for us. I mean, we need to be reminded of that. Jesus sets you free. He makes your life right. I mean, how incredible is that? And how, how can we lose sight of what he has done for us? I mean, we should never lose sight of that. We cannot lose sight of that. And, and here's the last two things. And the first one was that the demons submitted to his word. I had a man come up to me Sunday morning after church over in Alabama, and he asked me, he said, are you anointed to cast out demons? I said, every Christian's anointed to cast out demons. He said, no. I said, Yeah. He said, you've got to have an anointing to do that. I said, if you are born again by the Spirit of God and you have the Holy Spirit inside you, then you already have the anointing. It's called the Holy Spirit, and you have the authority of God's Word to cast out demons. And he said, I ain't never heard that. I said, well, if you go to this church, I know you have. He said, well, I do go here. I said, then you're not listening. I said, because this pastor cast out demons. He's not afraid to do that. And I said, and there's people in this church that, are, that have done it. They're not afraid to do it. And, and, and uh, in fact, the pastor told me that the week before, he said that he's had an invasion of witches come into his church in the last several weeks. And he told me, he said, he said this is what one looks like, this is what another one looks like. I said, let them come on. He said, last week in the middle of my preaching, this one stood up and started yelling at me. I said, she wouldn't have done it but once with me. I'd have cast that devil out of her. He said, well, I told her to shut up and sit down. I said, not me. I'd have gone back there and cast the demon out of her. And uh, he said, well, I didn't think about doing that. I said, I, said, I ain't going to let no devil interrupt my church service. I said, it's gonna, I said, well, cast that thing out and tell it to be quiet. And uh, he said, he said, well, I'm telling you, there's going to be witches here. You got to watch out for them. They've been showing up here. I said, well, then you're doing something right. I said, the kingdom of darkness is is worried about it. Now, listen, now, you think it's crazy. I, had a, I have a pastor friend up in Virginia. And a couple of years ago, he was on a Wednesday night. He saw this woman walk in and sit way up in the back corner of his church. And everybody else was sitting down front. He had everybody down front because a smaller crowd Wednesday night. And there's a woman sitting up in the back. And so she stayed around for the service. And at the end, he went back there and talked to her. And he said, hi, I'm Pastor. He said, I know who you are. She said, well, how do you know who I am? She said, I'm a witch. And she said, I'm part of a local coven here. And we're checking out all the churches in the area. And he said, why are you checking out the churches? He said, we're trying to find out where where the thread is. And and he said, oh, okay, what do you mean? He says, well, we're trying to find out what, what churches are a threat to us. And uh, he said, well, what did you find out tonight? He said, there's no threat in this church. And she got up and left. He got riled up. The pastor got riled up. He, he preached for like four, five, six weeks about witchcraft and demons and casting out devils, the whole nine yards. He said, I, I, he, t- he kept calling me. He said, man, my church is eating this up. It's eating it up. I said, are they doing it? He goes, well, I don't know, but they're eating this up. And I said, well, they'll eat. I said, rats will eat rat poison. That don't mean nothing. I mean, you know, they eat, they eating it up. And I said, but are they doing it yet? And he said, about six weeks later, here come that same woman sitting in the back. And he said, she, he knew what she was there for. He said, We've stirred up trouble. I guarantee you that. He said. Now they're worried about us in the spirit realm. They're worried about us. And he and he called me the next day. He said he was so depressed. I said, What's wrong? He said she came back, to check us out. And I said, What'd she say? He said she said there's still no threat in this church. He said because there ain't nobody in here going to do anything. They're no threat to us in the in the spirit realm. And that made him mad. I said, Make me mad too. I said I'd get a bunch of them people and get that witch, get them witches together and have a brawl, you know, spiritual <laughs> knockdown, you know that, so, you know. I said put them on the spot, man, you know. I mean, you know, I mean. Look, the seven sons of Sceva, right? You remember that story? Seven guys. See, Paul casting out demons, and they said, we know a demon-possessed guy, so they go seven on one, right? They go find this demon-possessed guy, and they said, we command you in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches to come out. And the demon spoke. I didn't, don't think they were ready for that, but the demon spoke and said, Paul we know, and Jesus we know, but who are you? They, the demons knew And it says, and that one man jumped on those seven guys and beat them to a pulp. And it says, and they ran naked, bloody and naked through the streets. And I guarantee you the headlines the next day talking about seven bloody, streaking evangelists running from a demon-possessed man. I'm serious. The demons are subject to his word. And you have to know that. You you need to know it. You say, well, how will I know? When you come in contact with one, you'll know. You'll you you you'll stand up against it and you won't go, would you please leave? They're not gonna leave. You know, you've gotta you've got to be bold about it. And here's the last thing I'm gonna tell you is that submission to Jesus is the key to victory-filled life. You already have the victory. In Jesus, He's already done everything. The difference is whether or not your life is totally submitted to Him. Because if you're holding on to certain things and trying to hold on to Jesus, it isn't going to work. There, there's no mixture. God is against, I'm just telling you, he's, he, that's not going to be God. You're not going to be able to hold on to darkness and hold on to light and think that somehow you can balance it out. It's, it doesn't work that way. It's either all for God or for the other side. What did, what did Jesus say in the book of Revelation? I'd rather that you be hot or cold instead of lukewarm. But if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. If we will let him come in our lives without any restrictions, he will set things right in our lives. And I'm convinced that many Christians are struggling with battles. They're struggling with things in their lives because they're trying to say, God, solve my problems, but save my pigs at the same time. No, we need to say, God, solve my problems, and if you have to, slaughter the pigs. Take everything, put it on the altar, God. I'm putting myself on the altar. You just take it all, God. I'm telling you, we, you it, it's, it's all or nothing. We're living in a day, that it's, it's all or nothing, my friends. We cannot dictate to God how he's gonna fix our lives. And, and after all, I mean, why would we tell God how to fix our lives when we were the ones who messed it up in the first place? I mean, if we knew how to fix it, then why didn't, how, how do we end up where we're at, right? I mean, come on, you know? So until we let God in without any restrictions, and, and, and unless we allow him to search our hearts, search our motives, search our actions, search our words, search our thoughts, search everything, we'll always be crying out to God to solve our problems. And what God is looking for is the people Who know that he is the problem solver. That it's not that you're going to go through life without problems. Jesus said in this world you're going to have tribulation. That's trouble with a big T on the front. Okay? There's problems that are going to come. But it's different when you know that he's the problem solver and that when you put it all on the altar and say, God, if there's anything there, show me. If there's anything, show me, reveal it to me. And when he does reveal it, we say, Lord, cast, slaughter that thing, kill that thing. I put it on the altar, Lord. I surrender everything to you. And, and you know what? then when the problems come your way, instead of you whining and crying and moaning and groaning, and oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Guess what? You say, I don't know how he's going to do it this time, but I know in who I have believed, and I know that he is able to do above and beyond all that I can ask or think. My God is getting ready to do miracles. In fact, I told the church at Foley last, last Sunday night, I said, if I could add one thing to the, to the, um, you know, where Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in heart and all that. I said, Blessed are the risk takers, for they will see miracles. And I'm not talking about risk takers like being foolish, I'm just talking about those who are willing to step out of the boat in God. Well, you'll never do that when you're not willing to put it in the altar and, and let God have it in your life. You'll never do that because you're still trying to hold on to something over here. He's saying you've got to let it go. He's saying we have to let it go. And, and uh, anyway, God is saying it's time to let it go. I want us to take the next few minutes and uh, we're getting ready to play a, a video, a song about surrender. And I want you just write where you're at right now. I want you to take the next few minutes and ask Holy Spirit. Ask Him, is there anything that I'm holding on to that I need to put on the altar, that I need to let go? Is there anything, is there, is there one, one thing that keeps constantly dragging you down? When people at come to me that said that I, this one thing in my life, I, I, I got to go to it. I got to say there's something there that you're holding on to something. A lot of times it's unforgiveness. We've got to give it to God. We got it to give it to God because he's trying to raise up an army of a church to face, to be the light in darkness, not run from darkness, to be the light in darkness. But we can't be the light when we're living in darkness or holding on to things that are part of the kingdom of darkness. So Justin, would you just begin to play this video and during this time, ask you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you i Father, we just thank you that you are working a good work in us and that you never give up on us. You never lose patience with us. And Holy Spirit is constantly pointing us
1: towards you. Jesus, we want more of you. To make more room for you, there's,
0: there's stuff that has to go. And Father, we just say, show us. And let us be submissive and let it be
1: gone. That Jesus might be the one who shines in our life. That people would see Jesus in us. See Jesus in us. Jesus. 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 Jesus, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, show us one thing. needs to go show us and let us say let it be gone I want Jesus I want Jesus I just feel right now the Holy Spirit still speaking to some people. Weigh it out. Do you really want to hold on to that thing that's pulling you down like an anchor? Or do you want to be set free? You have to decide. You have to decide. He is willing. God is willing. God is able. He's more than willing. Are you ready? Are you really, truly ready to let Him have His way? Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, it's Jesus, it's Jesus we want, Jesus, more and more and more and more of Jesus, Some of you came in here tonight, your insides, you just twisted. And what I mean by that, emotionally, you're wrung out. And right now, Jesus is bringing peace. He's bringing peace to your mind and your heart your spirit right now. Jesus. Say his name. Come on, Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. May we never forget where we were when you found us may we never forget what you saved us from, what you delivered us from. May we never forget how deep a hole, a pit that we were in that you pulled us out from. Undeserving, and yet you came.
0: just sense tonight that there's someone here there may be more than one your, your home is in turmoil right now
1: and when you go back home I want you to say his name you walk through that house not angrily but in confidence and at peace Jesus he stilled the storm he spoke the word be still and it stopped the name that is above every storm the name that is above every name Jesus walk through your house and speak his name, just speak his name. Do not allow the torment to continue. Do not
0: allow the the, the confusion and the turmoil to continue. Speak
1: his name, speak his name, speak his name. There's power in the name of Jesus amen how many of you know there's power in his
0: name just his name just his name to those who know there's power in his name amen hallelujah anybody here you need special prayer for anything tonight anyone praise the lord i want you to stand together Let's be dismissed together. Father, I just bless these people and bless them tonight as they go home. Father, I pray that the peace of God would rest upon them, that their minds would be at peace, their hearts at rest. Lord God, I pray that you protect them as they go home. And Father, I pray that they would get rest for their weary bodies and weary minds. And that, God, if we wake tomorrow and we still have breath in our lungs, God, let us use that day as to bring glory to your name. And I pray that you would give them favor with those that they come in contact with for the glory of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.